So today we're continuing with our uh, sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're calling this sermon series uh, the cross and the crown. And as we are looking at the Gospel of Mark in the, the summer months, the, the, both the cross and the crown are two major themes that come up. The cross is really exemplifying the fact that Jesus is a servant, that Jesus comes to serve us and to rescue us. And then on, the crown, on the other hand, is demonstrating that Jesus is the the authoritative voice in our life. He is the authoritative voice in the entire world because he is the king of kings. He is the one who uh, it reigns over all things. And these two, these two themes of being a servant and the king are go hand in hand. And today, as I mentioned earlier, today is Ascension Sunday where we see Jesus in the Gospels, very, not Gospels, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And the entire reason why Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father is because he has uh, fulfilled, he has completed, he has obeyed God's word and God's law, and he has saved us and rescued us from our sin. And so that is why he is acknowledged and that he is exalted and and, and is the king of kings. And so uh, today, as we look at Mark chapter 2, we're specifically looking at this uh, text. We're, there's, we're looking at two sections of Mark, Mark 2, verses 23 through 28, and Mark 3, 1 through 6. And both of these accounts deal with two separate events that occurred on two separate Sabbaths. And so today, we're very specifically thinking about how Jesus is the king of over our lives, and how we follow Jesus, we are actually following the king's rest. And so we're very specifically looking at this Old Testament idea, not, excuse me, Old Testament, this, this biblical idea of the Sabbath. And if you're looking throughout the entire Bible, you'll notice that there is actually a lot of unity over this issue, but there's also a lot of disunity. For example, here's just one item of disunity. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on the seventh day of the week. But after Jesus' resurrection, we find that in the New Testament, Jesus' followers are observing the Sabbath day, not on the seventh day of the week, but on the first day of the week. Because So what's going on? In the, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is a picture of God's rest after creation. But in the New Testament, it's, we see that the Sabbath is a picture of resurrection. And so there's some disunity there as we look at the Sabbath across the entirety of Scripture. And I share this because what I really want to do today is we look at this this text. I really want to just look at this text in, in a way that is going to raise other questions. Because the Sabbath is a big thing throughout all of Scripture. But this is really, I, I suspect for many of you, just going to be an introduction to the Sabbath. And so today, it's, I mean it as an introduction. And so with that, I know there's going to be other questions that will be raised. And if you have those questions, I'd love to talk with you about them. But so I really, as, as we dive into this text, we're going to be starting at Matthew chapter 2, verses, not Matthew, Mark 2, 23 and going into 3, verse 6. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God 
God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him, is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with their Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we ask that you be with us now as we look at your word. May your spirit be our work in our hearts, that we would see how you are uh, the God of rest, and you invite us to follow you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Americans on average work 44 hours per week. And if you break that down into per day, Americans on average are working 8.8 hours per week. And for some professions, like those who are in finance or those who are in technology, that number will soar to work over where you are working over 60 hours per week. So Elon Musk, who is the owner of Tesla, and he has a number of other businesses, this is what he had to say about the average work week of his employees. This is what he said. Nobody ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. While a number of work hours vary per person, per employee, it is about 80 sustains, peaking at about 100 work hours per week. So here's Elon Musk looking at his employees and saying that the average work week for his employees is over 80 hours. And so just reading this, these statistics is meant to be rather jarring because we do work a lot. And, and this is showing us that we as Americans have a problem, and it's that we work a lot. It's not just that we work a lot. It's in fact that we are addicted to our work. When we read about other countries, like in France, where you need to have a, an exception from the government to work more than 35 hours per week, we hear that and we're like, wow, you don't work that much. Or, or when you hear about in Spain how it's normal for, for workers to take a siesta in the middle of the day, you're like, wait, you're taking a nap during the middle of the day? We hear these things and we, we question just the, their, the, the, the uh, work ethic, the productivity of these countries, these cultures. And so the reason why we do that is because we find identity in our work. Our work gives us a sense of security, where our work, we know that as we work hard, we are receiving a paycheck. We, so our work gives us a sense of security. Our work gives us a sense of significance, where we are able to say, hey, look what I did. I have worked hard. I have, I, I, we can see really the fruit of our labors. And we also find success in our work. We find value. We find identity. So in, in all these things come 
from our work. So in other words, really, it's no wonder we are addicted to our work. We are addicted not just really to work. We are addicted to finding success and significance. We're addicted to finding value and identity. We're addicted to those type of things, but we find them primarily through our work. One writer uh, who was recognizing the fact that we work hard, in our life, but we rest poorly. This is how, what the author say, says, that work is a fetish and rest is a laziness, is laziness for our lives. That rest is laziness. And today, as we look at this text, we're looking very specifically at how Jesus is the Lord of our rest. That in fact, that Jesus is your rest. That's the whole main idea for today. But as we look at this text, it, the, the reality is, as we even think about rest, there are a number of hurdles and obstacles in our way to even think about this accurately. And so today, as we look at how Jesus is our rest, we're going to be seeing how Jesus challenges the religiosity of the Pharisees over the Sabbath day, very specifically. And, but here's something to note, that after this conflict, after Jesus and the Pharisees clash over these things, over the Sabbath, Things escalate incredibly quickly. Like Mark chapter 3, verse 6 says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So because of this clash, the Pharisees planned to kill him. This is, things escalate pretty quickly. So this is something for us to, to really ask, what could cause the Pharisees want to kill Jesus? And it has to do with the fact that Jesus is our rest. So if you want an outline today, here's the outline for us. We have the old rest, the distorted rest, and your true rest. The old rest, the distorted rest, and your true rest. So as we get started, let's think about the old rest. And just by introduction, if you recall last week, I introduced the Pharisees to you for the first time last week, according to the Gospel of Mark. And the Pharisees, they are known for their zealous, their rigorous commitment to God's law. They want to avoid both sin and sinners in their pursuit of holiness, in their pursuit to follow God's law. But how they did that is, that in, is uh, really displayed for us here. And we see that their commitment to avoiding sin and sinners, their commitment to, to zealously obeying God's law in their minds, in their perceptions, actually angers Jesus. So let's, let's understand how that's the case. But, like, but first, let's look at the old rest. Let's consider the old rest. The biblical story tells us that when God created the world, he created the world, and then after his creative efforts, he rests on the Sabbath day. He rests on the Sabbath the seventh day. And after a full week of working, after a full work week of creating, he rests. And that Old Testament, that, old, that Hebrew word for resting is Sabbath. The, that word for ceasing from work is Sabbath. And so when God makes Adam and Eve, he gives them a mandate. He gives all of humanity a mandate. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, we are meant to make something of this world. We're meant to work. We're meant to create. We're meant to make culture. And as we see within that creative act, work is a very good thing because when God makes humanity, as God gives his mandate, this mandate to them, he says, this is good. 
this is very good. So work is a good thing. And, but then we come to the fall. And like this is in Genesis 3, and we're, we're still living in light of the fall. And, and sin happened. The fall happened. If you look in Genesis 3, there is sin, there is misery. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to be working and tilling and cultivating the ground. But the Hebrew is actually incredibly pointed. It's not by the sweat of your brow, like the sweat of your forehead. It's the sweat of your nose, where the picture is that your sweat's going to be dripping and dripping and dripping from your nose. And so that is life in light of the, of the fall, life in light of the sin, that now, not, not just that there's work, but work is going to be twisted in by our sin. It's going to be hard. And so later on, jumping from Genesis, jumping all the way over to Exodus, God rescues his people from slavery. He rescues them. He calls them out, out of Egypt. And as Israel is following God, he takes them to Mount Sinai and he gives them his law. He gives them this law, and, this, and his law is a gift to them. His law, these rules, these commandments are given to them to help them flourish and thrive. And right there, whenever we hear about rules, whenever we think about commands and things like that, we, we really question them. Because in our minds, how in the world can rules and laws be for our flourishing? That is our perception when we think about rules anywhere, whether it be like at work, whether it be at school, whatever it be in God's word. We always want to question our rules. And so how in the world can rules be for uh, flourishing and cultivating life in our life? But to really understand that, think about the Israel's lived, the Israelites' lived experience. They were slaves for hundreds of years by this point. They had generational, they had generation after generation of trauma, and that's really has become like in their core of their being, being. And so God comes to them and gives them his word. And he says, here's the gift of the Sabbath day. Six days you shall work. On the seventh you shall rest, abstaining for, from all your work. This is a gift from God to his people, and it's going to be a picture of both creation but also a picture of the of life to come with Jesus. But it is a gift given to his people to help humanize them, to help them heal, to recover from their wounds, their trauma due to the misery of sin. In a similar way, within the, our own American story, 200 years ago, amid the horrible sin of American slavery, the Sabbath rhythm that occurred on Sunday within our culture, was a gift to Negro slaves. After six brutal days of work under the whips of their masters, there was a Sabbath rhythm on Sunday. They had one day where they would not be living under the white gaze of their masters, where they were free to be themselves. And I could show you pictures of of Negro slaves dancing, playing the banjo, singing songs, singing spirituals, crying out to God, lamenting the curse of slavery, crying for rescue and deliverance. But they were singing these songs with joy because this is a day where they are free to be themselves. It was a day of rest, and undoubtedly, undoubtedly, this is what scholars point out, is that this rhythm sustained them through their horrific misery of their daily life. 
The Sabbath, my point is here, that the Sabbath, a fixed day of rest, humanizes us, sustains us throughout the misery of life. The Sabbath is God's gift. Sabbath rhythms are God's gift to us in a fallen, sinful world. The, the Sabbath was a gift to Israel. It's even a gift to us today. But sinfully, we have this inclination to break things, to break even really amazing good things. And so over the years, going back to the biblical story, over the years, God's people started using the Sabbath for their own purposes. And if we jumping from Exodus all the way to Isaiah, and we see this in Isaiah 56, we read that people are using the Sabbath for their own pleasure, for their own purposes, and that's hurting the poor. Very specifically, that's hurting the poor. In one way or another, people with their wealth or their power are using their position and their privilege to hurt people whom they are responsible for. In other words, because of the sin in our lives, we distort rest that is given to us. And that's the backdrop to understand the Pharisees. And so this goes to our second point, the distorted rest. And so when we come to the Pharisees, their motivation is to really recover God's original intent for the Sabbath, where they set it apart as one day among seven to God, where they don't work, where they don't, uh, where they don't work, where they abstain from work. But as I introduced last week, the Pharisees were very zealous in their commitment to keep God's law. They actually go on to add to God's law. They add man-made rules and man-made regulations to prevent them from sinning, according to the, in their minds, from sinning, from disobeying God's law. And as we look at this text here in both Mark 2 and Mark 3, we see two very specific instances of how this is the case. So in Mark 2, and first, Mark 2, we see Jesus and his disciples walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. And his disciples began, begun, began to pluck the, the, the heads of grain. And right there is the Pharisees. They're judging them. It's like, hey, why are you guys doing that? And so they're saying, you're breaking the Sabbath. And so what's going on there? If you, in the book of Deuteronomy, there are various rules uh, that really guide how to harvest the field and when to rest. And so but if you're harvesting the field, you're taking the sickle out, and you're just like thrashing, you're cutting down all the grain, and you're harvesting it that way. That's how you, you harvest. And so the Pharisees were saying, but also you can go out there and just like take your hand and pluck some heads of grain. And that is still work. You're still harvesting. And so the Pharisees are saying any, anything that can be, could be perceived with harvesting is forbidden on the Sabbath day. However, again, in the book of Deuteronomy, there are, like I said, there's, there's a bunch of rules. But one, one rule is that if you are poor, if you need to eat, you can go through a neighbor's field. And you can take your hand and you can pluck some grain heads. And you can put it in your bag. But you can only put it, you can only gather one bag. Not two bags, not three bags, not four bags, but one bag. And so here are the disciples. They're hungry. And so they're walking through the field plucking grain heads. So the two things just to point out is that they're eating, they're poor. This is how they're, they're that this is per, permitted within God's word, within his law. And so the Pharisees, and so the second thing is, it's really the equivalent of picking an apple, walking through an orchard, picking an apple and eating it. That's the equivalent. And so the Pharisees come and say, like, how are you? You're working. They're, they're bringing condemnation. So that's the first instance, the first clash. The second is in 
in Mark 3, where we see a man who has a withered hand. And the Pharisees are around Jesus, and they're wondering, is he going to heal this man on the Sabbath? So by this point, the Pharisees are actually getting to know Jesus to a certain degree. They're, they actually expect him to, he, to do healing. But they're there with the mentality to trap him and, and really and question him. And so uh, Jesus asks, asks them a simple question. Is it good to do good on the Sabbath day or, is it, or to do evil, to heal or to kill? And they are silent. And so Jesus at this point is angry in his heart. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. He heals this man. And so right here we see that the Sabbath day is to be a picture of healing. It is meant to be a picture of good deeds. It's meant to be a picture of, of really going back to Genesis and the creation. It's meant to be a picture of our life with God. That's what it's meant to be a picture of. It's also, in light of Jesus, it is a picture of what our life with God is like due to Jesus' resurrection. And so Jesus clashes with the Pharisees because they are not caring for the poor. They're not caring for the, those who are hurting and ill around them. And they're using the Sabbath day as an excuse to care for the poor. They're using the Sabbath day as an excuse to care for those who are hurting. And so the Pharisees, it's because they see, they're rationalizing and they're all sorts of things about the Sabbath to excuse themselves from these things. That if you are picking an apple in an orchard, you're working. If you're healing a person, if you're caring for an ill person, you're working. They're missing the significance of the Sabbath. That's something that still continues to this day. In, in a lot of different ways. Here's just one way. This past week, I was flying to Atlanta to, for denominational business. And uh, as I'm on this committee for that review of Presbytery records, it is really that boring. And yes, and it's a long story. And so I'm, I'm on this plane flying down on Tuesday, and I'm reading a book. Uh, on the cover, it says the word Sabbath. And this uh, woman next to me asks me if I'm religious. And I was like, well, yes, I'm a Christian minister. And it turns out, as we're, getting, as we're talking, she is a non-religious Jew. She's from Israel. She, moved, she immigrated from Israel to here uh, 20 years or so ago. And she is a teacher of religious education at a Hasidic Orthodox Jewish school. And at this point, I guarantee you, I'm geeking out. And so, like, so our conversation, obviously, was all about the Sabbath and going all over the place. But she shared a few instances of, of modern-day uh, um, Sabbath observation for uh, Jews. So, and she gave these few examples. And, like, she's sitting there knitting. And she's like, so, for example, on the Jewish Sabbath, I can't knit. But if my boss gives me a, a piece of paper to read for work, I could read it. Because on one hand, I'm just reading. On the other hand, I'm, I'm actually creating something. And she goes on to give a few other examples, and this was one of my favorites, that she said that if you are a Hasidic Orthodox on, Sun, on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, you can't even, uh, when you go to use the restroom, you can't even tear toilet paper. Instead, on, on Friday, but Friday before sundown, you have to go in and pre-tear the toilet paper. And like, she's, she says at this point, like, all these rules, all these regulations miss the point of the Sabbath. And that's true today. All these things miss the point of the Sabbath. 
The point is that when we add to God's law with our own rules, with our own regulations, we take this beautiful good thing, we take this beautiful gift, and we transform it into a burden. That's what happens when we add to God's law, that we take this good gift and we transform it into a burden. So at this point, we have to ask the question, why did the Pharisees do this in the first place? Why did the Pharisees do this? And it has to do with their religious and moralistic ideology. It has to do with their religiosity and their moralism. And so when most people think about Christianity, they think about it as a religion where you relate to God and you relate to one another by being good. You relate to God by keeping good morals. You relate to others by whether or not they share your morals or they don't. That's not Christianity. Quite to the contrary, that's moralism. Moralism is this particular ideology that says that if you keep these rules, then you will please God. If you keep these rules, then you know who you can be friends with and whom you cannot be friends with. That This is all moralism. And the Pharisees are adhering to this moralistic ideology, and it's quite deadly. Because what it says is that if I obey God... I'm accepted. If I perform these good things, I am going to be accepted and loved by God. If I, in fact, if I keep all of God's law, you know what? I'm better than the other person. That's what the Pharisees would even say. So there's another passage. It's in Matthew. When the Pharisees are, one uh, Pharisee is praying, and he literally says, this Pharisee is praying to God, and he literally says, thank you, God, I'm not like that person over there. That is a consequence, a deadly consequence of a moralistic ideology. And the Pharisees lived according to this moralistic ideology. But we, you have to know, we have to know, we have to proclaim quite loudly that moralism is not Christianity. Moralism is not Christianity. It's actually very different. In fact, it's the opposite of it. Because on one hand, moralism or religiosity says, I obey God. Therefore, God accepts me. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are accepted by God, and therefore, we obey him. We are motivated by God's love to obey him. That is the gospel, that God loves us and accepts us. That is who we are. That is our identity in Christ, that we are loved. We are God's beloved in Christ. So therefore, we have a new way to live. See, the, what we do, we are... The Christianity is that we are fully accepted in Jesus Christ, and that's why we obey God. That is why we keep his commandments. Jesus gives you complete salvation because he loves you, and you gladly live for him. That's what Christianity is. And so it's the complete opposite of moralism. And so as Jesus is interacting with these men and he see, these, these people and he sees their deadly consequences, how it's hurting the poor, how it's hurting those who are vulnerable and sick around him, he is angry. He grieves at their hardness of heart. Their religiosity grieves him because their ideology is excusing them from loving and caring for people around them. And so he challenges them. He challenges them and reminds them that why. He really challenges them and tells them why the Sabbath exists in the first place. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
His point is, the Sabbath is a gift from God to you. You don't get to ask, or you don't get to say, this is what the Sabbath is for. This is what the Sabbath is not for. The Sabbath is a gift from God, and we need to ask questions where, 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 where we ask, how does God want us to live our days? How does God want us to use our moments and live before him? That's what Jesus is, is how Jesus is challenging them. He has in mind the fact that the Sabbath is meant to renew, heal, humanize, and refresh you. Think about it this way. When you are training for a race, I know a number of you are runners. So if you're training for a 10K or a half marathon or, or something else, when you are training, uh, you often will run four days or five days, but you'll rest for two to three days. If you ask any trainer for any advice that when you are regularly working out, that it's good to take one or two rest days so that you don't overexert, overfatigue your muscles. That's what trainers will tell you because it's important not to exhaust your body or your muscles. So take a rest day. The point that I'm making is that we are not made, we are not meant to work 24 hours a day. We are not meant or made to work eight, seven days a week or 365 days a year. We're not meant to always work. We are actually meant to work, yes, and to, to work and to rest. The point is we need rest in our lives. And so God gives us the spiritual practice of resting, he gives us the gift of Sabbath rhythms to help us experience true rest in Jesus Christ. We need rest. But think about it this way. It's easy for us to really idolize a, a weekend, a vacation, in, in a very unhealthy way. And this, is, and, and this is how we see this. When we get away from work, when we go on vacation, when we have a weekend, ha, ha, tell me this. Have you ever said to yourself, Hey, I need a vacation after that vacation. It's true. Like, we think that all the time. We really do. We go on vacation or we have, we have like a, this um, great, amazing time, a wonderful trip, and we're like, ooh, I need to rest after that. My point is, is that our physical rest is never our true rest. This is our third point. Our, our physical rest is never our true rest. That rest is more than a day off. Rest is more than a weekend. Rest is more than a vacation. Our rest is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Jesus is our true rest. He is our rest. He rescues us from the drive to compete with one another. He rescues us from the drive to perform. He rescues us from the need, the drive to always be working where we are addicted to our work. Jesus rescues us from our performance he rescues us from so many different things. And the how Jesus did this in the first place is that Jesus actually obeyed God's law to the letter. He performed for us so, to rescue us from our own need and the drive to perform and this, our, a drive to earn God's love. Jesus, in other words, earned God's love for us in the first place. That is Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to live and follow him. And as we said in our call to worship, Jesus says, come to me all, who are, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is our true rest and he calls us to come to him and to follow him. And as we follow him, we will learn, 
we'll actually discover, first off, that he is our rest. And we'll learn, secondly, because he is our true rest, that we'll learn how to rest in our lives. And the Gospels elsewhere, like John specifically, uses the language of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is another way to articulate that fact that we are called to rest in Christ. And resting or abiding in Christ is a challenge. It is a challenge, and so it, it's hard for us to have that, this resting mentality of what it looks like for us to abide in Christ. So we need rhythms in our life to help teach us what it looks like to rest in Jesus. The Sabbath rhythms teach us to rest in Him. So if you think, put, think about it this way, when you purposefully set aside your work, one of the first things you, you realize is just how addicted you are to your work. When you put aside your work, it's, you, you'll wonder, you'll notice your mind being like, oh, I wonder if that, I did that. I wonder if I, if I delegated that. Or I wonder if all my job responsibilities were, were accomplished. And so then the next thing you'll notice is like, oh, where's my phone? I want to check my work email. You'll notice that as you intentionally rest, you'll notice yourself, you'll notice just how addicted you are to work in your life. Just here's a personal example. I, I've said it before that I'm often a, a workaholic. That even when I go on vacation, I'll think of things to do even when I'm away. Because as a pastor, Sundays aren't really uh, normally a rest for me as a, a Sunday morning is when I wake up earlier than normal and to, to prepare for everything that pertains to worship. And so when I go on vacation, it's a real gift to be able to, to go and wake up, sleep in, to go to a different church, to, to worship, to, to do a number of different things differently. But even in that time, I am always wondering, I wonder how things are going back at home. I'm wondering how these things are going. Oh, I should look up my phone and see if Dan has texted me, which never happens when I'm on vacation, just to let you know. But I'll be wondering these things. I wonder how things are going. And... <laughs> The thing, my point is, is that we all, especially myself, we have a performance mentality in our hearts. And the Sabbath rhythms that God gives us, the Sabbath rhythms that God invites us to step into, disrupt our workaholic addictions. Because the Sabbath is an invitation to take it to Jesus, to take our performance mentality to Jesus, to surrender it to him and rest in him. Because he has, he has freed us from being addicted to our work and our performance because he is our true rest. And he has done everything that is needed or necessary for us to come to God and enjoy life and rest with him. Let's pray.